Hello, Pac-12 Sickos. We are once again begging you to check out Home Field Apparel. Now, I know we run many ads about Home Field, but here's the thing. We could be running ads about anything and everything, uh, but you know No Truck Stops is principled and stubbornly so. We'll pretty much burn any bridge it comes across if we don't believe in something, but I gotta tell y'all, Home Field is called the good brand for a reason. Uh, Yeah, sure, they're paying me to do this ad, but I have spent at least three times more than what they've ever paid us because Home Field shit just owns straight up. Uh, I have four shirts and a hoodie from their UCLA collection. I bought a Colorado shirt. I've got this awesome Oregon State basketball shirt. I even got a UCI shirt. It is absurd the stuff that they got there it's really cool it's all like vintage stuff i'm sure you've seen it around uh the shirts are soft as hell and the hoodie is a top three hoodie i have ever owned i don't vouch for much but i do vouch for home field you should try it now because home field is running a cyber monday sale from november 28th through the 29th where everything on their store is 20 percent off just put in code cyber monday all caps one word at checkout for 20 percent off if you want to give this stuff uh or just buy it for yourself give it a shot and you'll see why people go crazy every time home field drops new apparel so check out their expansive catalog at homefieldapparel.com to know truck stops a pack 12 podcast i'm carlos at equity bruin joining me as always is avery at brave grapes good morning greg oh greg is not here no greg uh matt hubertson at no pit stops <laughs> i have to fight traffic to vegas i'm so upset <laughs> and for the last time on no truck stops read at mf underscore read I'm horribly depressed. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, Good. great content. Good. Credit to you for showing up today. Credit to you. <laughs> I didn't even get yeah, to do the Greg Utah couldn't game. Make it. Greg couldn't make it because he's mourning Oregon's loss. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Greg showed up to this read. Congratulations. Good job for, for persevering. Uh, we have a jam-packed episode today. We have a ton of shit to talk about, including David Shaw resigning from Stanford in the dead of the night following Stanford's loss to BYU. We'll discuss that. Uh, the Pac-12 championship game is set. It'll be Utah-USC, a rematch, rematch of their tilt from earlier this year. So we'll preview that game. We'll talk about Kenny Dillingham getting hired by ASU. We'll talk about Colorado offering Deion Sanders. We'll discuss the rivalry weekend that transpired over the past couple of days. All of the games. We'll talk about Rose Bowl scenarios. We'll talk about Mother Michael Mothershed and so much more. We have so much to talk about. But first, we open with a plea. We are begging you. We are literally on our knees. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're at 3.5 stars, but we're slowly making our way up. Shout out our homie, West Texas Mike, who writes, No Truck Stops, which is an abbreviation for No Truck Stops, No Homeless Encampments, is the podcast for lovers of all things Pac-12. These are the fans. These are fans who watch teams other than their own. I mean, they might root against your team. They'll certainly harp on things that they and you hate about your team. They will guffaw in your face when your team gets its comeuppance or turns into a dumpster fire. But no, they'll be there to talk you through it. Absolutely beautiful review for people who love the Pac-12. Uh, we really do shit on the Pac-12 a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know that we're talking to anybody through anything other than like shit posting through it. <laughs> I think I think we can do that. Shit posting in audio form. It's beautiful. Uh, anyway, thanks for the reviews. Get your reviews up and we'll read uh, some of our favorites uh, every week on the show. Also, programming note. 
as always, our basketball episode drop Wednesday at 5 a.m. Uh, we're going to do that through football season. Just so folks know, we try to do a little bit of football discourse at the top of those, uh, especially since the CFB playoff rankings come out like right before we record. So we'll, we usually have we talked about it last week. We'll probably talk about it again this week. So tune in at least for the football, but stay for the basketball. Why not? Uh, and finally, we have exclusive content on our Patreon, as always. Just so folks are prepped, we don't do football episodes after the Rolls Bowl, but I think we're planning on doing like a weekly football episode on our Patreon. So make sure you sign up to get access to that. Okay, news. Uh, we have some very big news to get to, multiple big newses. David Shaw has resigned at Stanford. He resigned after midnight on Saturday after Stanford lost to BYU. David Shaw is coming off back-to-back three and nine seasons after putting together maybe the most successful stretch Stanford has ever experienced. Uh, I think this news came as a shock to all of us, including the timing. I'm curious, what were your reactions to this news, and were you stunned that David Shaw actually resigned? Avery, let's start with you. This this broke at like 12.30 in the morning. I was getting ready to go to bed, and then a bunch of people texted me about it, like more than one person was awake to tell me David Shaw resigned. (laughs) So my first reaction was that I'm tired and I wanted to go to bed. Um, But my second reaction is like, obviously David Shaw wasn't working at Stanford anymore. I don't, I don't think anyone thought like things were going to get better for Stanford. So something needed to change. And it sounded like a resignation was the only way he was leaving the program. And I was also thinking about how with David Shaw resigning, there are no, black head coaches in the Pac-12, which Mm. is really unfortunate considering last year there was a lot of coaches that were not white in the Pac-12. And I think that was something that the Pac-12 could have been proud of just because college football does not look like that. So I'm hoping that the Pac-12 can hire a coach that is diverse and we're not just a bunch of white guys. That's a great point. Uh, David. It's like David Shaw resigns. Herm Edwards gets fired. Carl Durrell got fired in the middle of the seasons. And I know you're like hearing all those names being like, yeah, they, but they were like really, really bad, right? And it is true that they <laughs> were bad, but they were also given some shitty positions. I mean, David Shaw made some real magic out of uh, the the what Stanford was, even after Jim Harbaugh was there. But I think that's a great point. Reed, what about you? What were your reactions? Same. I think it was time, right? I think that as the new era of college football has evolved with the sped up recruiting calendar and the transfer portal. I mean, everyone knows these things have hurt Stanford a lot. Uh, and I think despite all that David Shaw accomplished early in his tenure, it was time for him to go. Uh, and I'm probably best for all sides involved. I'm excited to see who Stanford goes out and hires. Cause it's a weird job, uh, in the context of college football, but, uh, I think it's the right thing for everyone. I want to know, like, what are the events and what were the conversations that led to this? Because like, obviously this was a bad season. Last year was a bad season too. And I know that there was for it to break immediately after the game and like not before the game where it's like, Hey, this is anticipated as David Shaw's last game. Like that sort of stuff to lose to a BYU team that is not good. And is, this is not a good BYU team. And you also had fans in the stands of this game, like chanting to fire David Shaw. Like, I was this predetermined? Was this David Shaw getting off the field and just being like, "Fuck it, like I'm done, <laughs> I'm I'm done with this shit. I can't turn around." There are there are uh, systematic and and 
uh, institutional issues at Stanford that prevent them from being able to be successful in modern college football. And he just had enough today. Like, I, I really want to know what these conversations look like. Cause I feel like most of the time when it's a genuinely like mutual resigning, you typically have a lot more tea leaves coming out than, than we did in this case. So, um, otherwise, I mean, like just as far as looking at David Shaw's career in total, like, Dude was really good. The The conversations of writing Jim Harbaugh's coattails are definitely not well-founded. Um, absolutely maintained that for three years, um, going to two straight Rose Bowls in 2012 and 2013, and then going to another one in 2015, like three Rose Bowls in four years in the five years after Harbaugh. Like that's, that's very, very impressive. In his seasons 2011 to 2018, he was 82 and 26. Goddamn. And since 2018, since the introduction of the transfer portal to college football, Stanford has been 14 and 28, hasn't had a season with more than four wins. I I mean, just pretty stark differences there. And I think that it's pretty clear that these are Stanford issues, not Shaw issues. And I think that Stanford knew it. And that's why they weren't firing him. And I'm just incredibly curious as to what, like, was he thinking about this for weeks? Did he genuinely just come off the field and be like, fuck it, I'm out? <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd be very interested to know. So in his statement uh, that he put out uh, with Stanford, he said that he had decided on this earlier this week. Uh, so, at, so at the very least, now it could have been, he, they could have been talking. There's a number of things like behind the scenes that we will just never know, right? Like how, how when did he actually decide this? Because he could have said earlier this week, but he he probably decided six weeks ago. Or did he decide or did Stanford say, Look, you're the greatest coach we've ever had. We think it's time to move on, but we don't want to like have the optics of firing you. We want you to go out the way that you want to go out. So, like, you know, can you this be your last season or something? You know, I, I I can imagine those conversations absolutely happened. Um, I, I cannot imagine that David Shaw went out on his own accord because he's making a shit ton of money. And I don't think that Stan, that David Shaw gave up a buyout either. Um, I think he probably publicly resigned, but maybe privately took the buyout or something. Uh, I don't know. Lots of stuff that we don't know. They don't have to tell us. And they don't have to tell (laughs) us because they're a private school. Um, (laughs) uh, This was, uh, I I think David Shaw's career, I think we've talked just about how bad he's been for a while and how much, how, how long they've kind of been on this decline. But like his career is worth celebrating. He is, I, I think I'd say probably pretty clearly the greatest coach in Stanford history uh, he went to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten straight bowls. Uh, sorry, eight straight bowls since 2011 when da- uh, Jim Harbaugh left. Uh, people who want to say that uh, David Shaw rode Jim Harbaugh's coattails, maybe you might have that argument for like the first two, maybe three years. But Stanford put together its best season of all time in 2015, five years after Jim Harbaugh left in 2015. Their best season of all time, uh, where they went. Uh, twelve and two won the Rose Bowl. That was a Christian McCaffrey year with maybe one of the best best single season uh, performances from a player in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, right up there with like Marcus Mariota and stuff. Like you could probably put them one A and one B in terms of seasons that they've had. So this has been an incredible career for David Shaw. It sucks that he had to go. Uh, it, I think he's he's a weird in game manager, but I think is still a pretty smart coach. 
So it kind of sucks. It sucks seeing him go off. And, you know, I'm sure that there's plenty of teams who are traumatized by him who are happy to see him go. But I think that speaks to just how good he's been at Stanford. I hope the Stanford disease is in the walls. It's been a really fun thing. <laughs> it has been a I really, hope that wasn't just David Shaw. Really fun thing. So fun. Uh, so fun. <laughs> uh, is, this, uh, is this a good job? This is a no. good job. Stanford, a good job. No. Everyone's no. shaking their heads. This is a it's a good retirement gig. <laughs> like if it I mean seriously though, like if you're Jim Mora and you're at UConn and you're looking to like probably get out of coaching in the next 5 years, why would you not go take uh, the bag? I, I guess so. Yeah, but I, but I also think it's just like you're putting yourself in a shitty position. Uh Stanford has made very clear through their actions, through um the way that they've sort of run their program and the way they've run athletics that they are not here for the next wave of college football. Uh, the transfer portal, the NIL stuff, like they are not here for it. They are not getting with it. Stanford is like, and I don't know how much of that is David Shaw and how much of that is Stanford. At least one of the things that's true, I think that's more true for Stanford than it is David Shaw is the transfer portal thing. Like Stanford just doesn't take transfers academically, athletically, like they just don't do it. And that's where college football is right now. Like how many of the rosters that we're seeing uh, in the, the top of the Pac-12 are made up of transfers, like a, a good portion. Um, and Stanford's not, they're not relenting on that. Um, and I, honestly, that that in itself makes Stanford a terrible job to take, right? Yeah. Like they are severely disadvantaged through their own doing. That's how you rebuild a program really quickly. Like we saw it at Arizona. Obviously, Jed Fish had good recruiting um, outside of the transfer portal, but that's like how you bring things back up to pace quickly, like starting from scratch and recruiting the quote unquote old way of recruiting with high school students is something that's like such a slow build. If you're a program like Stanford, that's so bad. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. It's a bad situation being Reed. Do you think this is a good job? No, I don't think, I think the only advantage is that there is some money floating around that university. Like if they did decide that they wanted to pursue NIL and someone really made the push, they do have the resources around Stanford that they could, you know, start out bidding some people, but I don't know if I really see that happening. Stanford in an autonomous college football world where it is separated from the NCAA and academics that that would actually be a very dangerous program. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Where the players don't have to enroll in the school. <laughs> yeah, no, if football was purely a marketing firm, yeah. Yeah, right? If it was purely we slap our logo on your helmet and you play in a, in a stadium on campus, like it, they have as much, if not more money than everybody else to be able to throw at a marketing, uh, a marketing campaign like that. Yeah, that's true. But unfortunately, that's not what college football is, at least not yet. Uh, so here we are. All right. Well, that's the Stanford job. That's David Shaw. Crazy to see him get fired, but uh, definitely time, probably time was definitely up. So we will see who takes that job. Uh, next up, Arizona State. They've officially hired Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham as, as its next head coach. Kenny Dillingham is only 32. He was literally born in 1990. I think this probably has to be the only coach ever to be hired, the first coach to be hired who was born in the 90s and, and like all of Power Five. Uh, but I am very successful in doing just fine for my age bracket. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, not good. Um, he's he's also apparently an ASU alum. Uh, he did not play football there, but uh, he like got a degree there. Uh, and it's frequently called ASU his dream job. I've heard that in several channels. ASU fans are over the moon about this. They're so happy about this. But Reed, you watched him 
all year at Oregon. What do you think of this hire? I think it makes a lot of sense. I think he has a lot of the tools that you'd want in a hire. He's young, which I think college football head coaching is kind of a young man's game now. He can recruit. Uh, He obviously knows the job really well. It's his dream job. Uh, And he can call plays pretty well. He did that well at Oregon this year. I know it was his first time kind of holding an entire offense on his own, but the Ducks were really good at least, you know, for the first nine weeks of the season. Um, And yeah, so I think he has the tools. I still think it's a roll of the dice like all college football hires are. Uh, I think it's the right gamble to make for Arizona State, but that doesn't mean that it will definitely go well. He obviously is not very experienced, uh, but he has a lot of the tools that it, there's at least an upside there. And I'm a proponent of making high upside hires uh, in college football. That makes a, that's a good point. He is, we're sort of kind of maybe in this moment where people are trending towards earlier, uh, younger, more energetic coaches. Avery, what, did, what do you think? You're a, a Dillingham credit, critic. What do you think of uh, <laughs> Kenny Dillingham going to ASU? I honestly think this is a very good hire um, by mm. ASU. Like It's perfect timing because their coach is out the door while a really young um, Arizona State alum is kind of like getting a lot of credit for his work at Oregon like he was very much on the rise as an up-and-coming name and they saw that opportunity and they took it and they're doing something that they really haven't done before hiring such a young head coach um, who has like very little big-time coaching experience but I think it's a very good move and I'm I'm glad they're doing something different I'm glad they're not just gonna hire someone straight off the ESPN desk like they did with Herm Edwards like I think it's a good move and if it doesn't work out like at least they tried something and they tried to do something that could become um, an exciting thing whereas like if you hire a guy who we've seen before that we know well like a known quantity that's going to be mid. That's just boring. So I'm glad yeah. they're doing something exciting. Yeah, Zach in the chat here makes a great point. To go from Herm to Dilly might be an overcorrection, but I think it's a good hire. It really does feel like uh, we did the old, super old retread thing, and now let's do the super young, super unproven, but promising thing. So kind of kind of interesting. Matt, what do you think of this hire? Um, I'm intrigued for like the hometown boy nature of it, honestly. Yeah. Mm. Um, I I think that as you're looking at just the reality of the coaching market, especially as we saw last year with the big names going for the real, real big name schools, uh, even when it when you're comparing like an Oklahoma to a, a USC, I think that you're seeing a lot of the more middle tier P5 jobs realize that they are not a destination job for somebody without an emotional connection to the school. Um, The days of a Kyle Whittingham getting into a school and moving up the ranks and just being there forever and ever is probably gone in in large part. And so especially if you are hiring somebody who is younger and has never been anywhere more than two years, it needs to be somebody that is going to have an emotional connection if you at all plan if you're a program that can't just turn around in two years and hire a new coach, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's working for Oregon, I think that's kind of, frankly, to be seen. Maybe it works for like a Washington, but for a school like an Arizona, like a Colorado, like a Utah, I think that you have to try to set up your hire to be a, hey, if you're good, you're going to be here for 15 years because you have an emotional connection to the school. And so I think that from that lens, I'm very intrigued by it because I don't think 
as much as we talk about, as people talk about Arizona state being a sleeping giant, like I think that's bullshit. And I think that they need to, they need to just sign up for a long build and get behind a guy. That's, I mean, that's the Jonathan Smith model, right? Uh, is getting, mm-hmm. getting a, a, a beloved legend, a guy who has is very strongly associated with the university, hiring him and giving him some time to build some stuff. Um, I will say that, uh, Arizona state, I, Sleeping Giant might be a a little strong, but I do think it's a really good job. I think it's a a sneaky good job. They go, I mean, it doesn't matter who they've hired. They go six and six every single year, no matter what. Uh, this was this was an exception. This is their worst year in, since like the forties. But this is because they hired, they fired their coach, and they had a huge lot. Like it was just some crazy circumstances. I'm I'm curious the hometown hire thing, uh, the hometown hero kind of situation i think is uh it's a it's a gamble because oftentimes the emotional connection to the school really clouds your judgment uh or really kind of completely shifts what you're capable of like we saw scott frost flame out at nebraska we saw rick neuheisel flame out at ucla many years ago um but you know we do see jonathan smith um succeed in places like oregon state right or kyle whittingham um you know, that, that sort of stuff. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, the Arizona state job is a good job. I, I really hope that Kenny Dillingham doesn't get too, um, how do you say, like trying to build a, a program in a very specific image. Cause I think at Arizona state, you can recruit top 30 talent. You should just recruit your ass off, be good at, uh, being an offensive schemer and just rely on that. Like you could, you could do some stuff at Arizona state just doing that. And this is why, Utah needs to pursue Brian Johnson as the yeah. next head coach. Perfect mm-hmm. hire, not an issue with it. Um, compared to Morgan Scally, this man would be the best coach in the entire world. But nope, not what we're going to get. We have a question from Zach, and I wanted to hear from Reed about it. Uh, Zach asks, how, how much of Oregon's offense was Dilly and how much was the crazy talent? I mean, it was all Dilly in that he had complete ownership over that offensive scheme he brought in the quarterback and Bo Nix that enabled all those weapons to go I think there's still a ton of talent on the team obviously um, but Oregon's going to rehaul almost all of its offensive line after this year which is a big deal uh, receiver is still going to be good running back still going to be good like there are pieces there but I mean, you're starting from scratch with a new hire, basically. There's no continuity left in offensive scheme in terms of there was a 1B behind the scene who was also responsible for the offense. It was Dilly's whole Mm. thing. Uh, It probably means any shot of Bo Nix coming back next year is gone. Uh, we'll see what it means for the five-star quarterback commit Dante Moore, who was brought, who committed to Oregon in large part due to his relationship with Dillingham. So those are big questions, uh, but there's talent there. And I mean, recruits uh, offensively, especially want to play at Oregon. So if it's a good offensive hire, yeah, this offense can still be good. But if it's a bad offensive hire, none of Dillingham's work, I think, is going to carry over. Uh, necessarily because of other people in the building the good news is that at least we saw dan lanning actually give up the keys to the offense right yeah that gives us more um optimism than you know what we saw under Cristobal with his offensive coordinator hires do you think reed uh you know one thing that gets talked about with dillingham and kind of oregon fans are bringing it up now uh red zone uh 
the red zone play calling for off- offensively. They're like 70, I think I checked 77th in the country in red zone scoring percentage. Is that a concern? I mean, I don't know. That's such a minor thing, I think, in the overall context of like being a head coach at ASU. But I don't know. Does it does that matter? I think he absolutely overthought some situations in the red zone Mm -hmm. and just stopped running his normal offense, which was extremely frustrating. And sometimes that was like a weird pitch play, a weird formation. Sometimes like in the Oregon State game, which we'll get into, you know, you go into I formation three times in a row. It could have worked and we'd celebrate it if it did. But it's also like just run your normal stuff. Um but for me, I feel like that's probably a symptom of him being a first-year offensive coordinator. And in terms of like his long-term potential at Arizona State, I expect he'll probably learn from those mistakes and you know settle into red zone play calling a bit better. Who among us does not overthink things in the red zone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone can make that mistake. Uh, okay, uh, that's interesting insight. I mean, I think it's gonna uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see what Arizona State does offensively. I'm I, I'm really interested to see if he hires like a real offensive coordinator. People are talking about Scott Frost, maybe, but I don't know. You think you'd probably rather have no. like yeah, right? It's not gonna happen. That's a joke. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I've been hearing it all over the place, but it's like, I don't know, why would you take over a program as an offensive coordinator being this like major offensive schemer and then give over the keys to someone else? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, I have a I have a tweet here. I don't uh, This kind of came up. I tweeted something around just now realizing that David Shaw leaving Stanford means there are zero black head coaches in the Pac-12. Our buddy Joe at TTID96 says he's a USC fan. <laughs> just this random tweet. I could not get over it. He said, not gonna lie, I thought Jonathan Smith was black before I saw his picture. <laughs> how? how <laughs> what? That's like right up there with me thinking Cam Ward was white. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's worse than thinking Cam Ward is white just because like Jonathan Smith is the best quarterback of all time at Oregon State. Like he is hailed as a hero by Oregon State fans. Like he is their favorite person on earth. There's pictures of him everywhere. Joe follows me. I post a picture of Jonathan Smith like at least twice a week. (laughs) This is not news. It's so funny. I could not get over that. Anyway, uh, I just had to share that because I was like, what in the hell is this? Uh, okay, well, those are the two coaching hires. Uh, there's going to be a lot of movement. Hopefully, this means. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how much it'll mean for the Pac-12 long term, depending on if the Pac-12 is around long term. But this new round of coaching hires over the past couple of years has really made the Pac-12 strong this year. So hopefully, it'll just improve the quality of the league that much more. All right, uh, let's talk about the actual games that happened, Matthew Berson. How about a recap of everything that went down in the weekend in the Pac-12? Yeah, I never know what to call this week. Like, it, obviously, it's rivalry week across college football, and these are rivalry games. But like. I always find it interesting when it's like UCLA and Cal is not either team's primary rival, uh, Washington, Oregon, they're not playing their like actual primary rivals. So like, I don't know, rivalry week part two, I, <laughs> you know, little brother week. I don't, I don't know what to call it. it I, either way, it flat out delivered, um, kicking off Friday afternoon with the territorial cup, Arizona edged out ASU 38 to 35 in a very fun back and forth game. Uh, an hour later on the kick, UCLA beat Cal 35-28 in a game that other teams in the pack were interested in far more than UCLA was. Um, <laughs> Saturday, uh, the puss in the game of the year, Oregon State, <laughs> runs the ball straight up Oregon's ass to come back down 31-10 to 
31 to 10 uh, to win 38-34. Streets are asking if Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham seemed a bit distracted um, and if this was what Tosh LePoy's Oregon will look like <laughs> uh, moving forward. Uh, Utah putting up 63 points against hated rival Colorado. Uh, won big in Boulder. USC controlled the game against Notre Dame, winning 38-27. to Caleb Williams probably just won the Heisman. Um, and all this set up an Apple Cup to determine who would play USC. And it was awesome up until about the fourth quarter when UW pulled away to win 51-33, to sending Utah to Vegas for the fourth time in five seasons, four out of the last four non-COVID seasons. Oh, yeah, and David Shaw resigned after Stanford lost to BYU 35-26, the shame of enabling uh, religion excuse bigotry just too much to bear. <laughs> <laughs> Great, flawless recap, Matthew Bertson. Thank you. All right, let's talk in depth about the biggest result from the slate, or at least the one that was most exciting, at least to me. Uh, Oregon State rally, not to read, uh, Oregon State rallying <laughs> to beat Oregon in Corvallis. Grapes, how about you recap this game for us? This is the game that I have been waiting to watch all season long, and I was not disappointed. Oregon State went up 10 to 7 against Oregon super early on in this game, and then. The rest of the half, it was kind of like a punt turnover on Downs Fest. Ben Branson threw a pick a few drives later. Oregon scored a touchdown to go 14-10. to 10. Um, In the second half, Oregon was able to capitalize off of more Oregon State turnovers and an overall lack of offense to go up 31-10. to 10. This game was over. Everyone was saying it was over. Everyone was talking about Oregon in the championship game. Or so we thought. Um Oregon State couldn't get its offense going. Oregon did not look like it was going to be stopped. Everything changed when Oregon State abandoned the pass, and I mean abandoned it. Like, they did not throw a ball after their fumble in the middle of the third quarter. Oregon State had 19 consecutive running plays. This is what I've been asking for for two years. (laughs) And this is proof that I know ball because I have been begging weekly Jonathan Smith to abandon the pass, and they did it. And after some very helpful mishaps by Oregon's special teams and a failed Bonex run on fourth and one, the graveyard prevailed and Oregon State won 38-34. So, Reed, how do you feel that your formerly number nine ranked Oregon lost to a team that only had 60 passing yards my team my team is hosting a conference title game on saturday <laughs> roll wave baby roll wave the two lane green wave no um oh my god this game was horrible uh i mean oregon fans we've seen a lot of collapses right 2018 stanford the alamo bowl versus tcu this is this is up there maybe at the top uh wow. of the collapses Worse than those. From oregon. yeah I- yeah, oh, uh, the implications just I mean you yeah. had a conference title game right there you know go back three weeks ago the offense was rolling it looked like Oregon might be the best team in the conference uh and within the span of one quarter or a quarter and a half everything fell apart um the team just flat out quit you know the defense could not maintain anything any type of resistance to Oregon State's run game Special teams didn't help at all, obviously. Um, and now Oregon's left with the offseason full of questions, right? I mean, the OC hire is the biggest one for the Ducks, but there are a lot of other moves that need to be made after a result like this. You you just can't stay course. Hire. 
<laughs> uh, thoughts on Oregon here? You know, Reed, Reed just said it, a, a complete collapse from the Ducks. But Avery, do you have any thoughts about what the hell happened with Oregon in this game? Oh, my God. What an incredible game. I just wanted to say that preseason, I knew Oregon State was winning this game. During this game, I had I didn't have a single doubt. The Bees were down 24. I knew what was going to happen. I could feel it in my bones. Incredible. Um, God, Oregon... Oof, I don't even know. Oregon just, obviously the special teams really fucked shit up, but their defense couldn't, 19 consecutive running plays, like at that point, I feel like you can really abandon the idea that there's going to be a pass. I I think after like eight, you're, you know that there's not going to be any passing. I don't, I feel like that's not hard to stop anymore. And I did not see Oregon attempt to adjust the way they needed to adjust. And it's funny because this entire game, um, Rod Gilmore was talking about how Oregon State's defense was not adjusting properly to how Oregon was passing and running the ball. And uh, look what happened later on in the stretch. Oregon just did not adjust to the running game. Uh, It just felt like they didn't care anymore, which is insane considering this game, a win in this game would have put them in the conference championship game. I don't know. It was a it was a insane collapse. It was a big time collapse. Uh, the defense is going to get a ton of uh, a ton of flack, but Oregon's run game on offense was not good. Uh, they had 143 yards off 44 attempts. That's 3.25 yards per carry, and it felt like a, a couple of the big runs early on, like in their first drive or two, where where the vast majority of the yards came from. Like Oregon. Or they they let Oregon State shut them down. Uh, their run game. No Whittington had 16 attempts off just 81 yards, and that's 5.1 yards per carry. But he had like one big run in there, one medium sized run that really inflated that a little bit. Uh, it was it was Oregon's offense, I think, that really failed them. We know we know Oregon's defense is bad. Uh, we've seen it. We know that they've they they are prone to giving up a ton of points. It's their offense that I think that that failed them. And a lot of this, again, I think, and I think this is worth bringing up. And, uh, you know, I'd like to hear Reed's thoughts on it after we get to Matt. But, like, I think a lot of it still was Bo Nix being hurt, right? His, him not being, again, uh, he did not look much better than he did against Utah. He He's clearly hurting right now. It's almost a good thing that he's going to have a month off before the bowl game if he actually plays in it. Um, that it's just kind of a... a it's kind of a bummer. Bo Nix, like, I, I don't, I'm not an Oregon fan and I don't know much of the lore here or how they feel about it, but it really does feel like it's up there with Dennis Dixon in terms of like a what if, right? An injury to a quarterback that derailed the season. Uh, if Bo Nix does not get injured, if he stays healthy, even during that UW game, we're probably talking about 11 and one Oregon playing USC in the title game, uh, maybe, right? And that, that being for a spot in the playoff. We're, ta- we're having a completely different conversation about Oregon. So, Matt, what did you think of this game? What did you think of Oregon? I just, I don't think that people are talking enough about how much Bo Nix's injury is limiting the Oregon playbook. Like, yeah. it, when I talk about, when I talk about Bo Nix is like at 40, 50%, it's not as much that like that's what he's, his actual health is as, and like how close he is to being 100%. The reality is, is that with the fact that he can't plant and he can't run, that is limiting the Oregon offense down to like 30% of what they're able to run. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not able to to run a lot of their like deep like seam routes and 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 a lot of those balls that really require Bonix to be able to drive on. And 
in college football, look like we know how big of an advantage it is to have a quarterback that can run in this sport. It just, it completely opens, it completely changes your numbers in the passing game. It completely is what the RPO is built on and in having that third option versus just a, just a, a handoff uh, play action option. So I think that it's just, I felt like this game was very similar in, to the Utah game from the fact that there were times and points in the game where what Oregon does very, very well, they were able to do for a limited period of time until the defense was able to adjust to it. And unfortunately, because of those limitations, Oregon just wasn't able to punch back in in that sense. I think that the way that Oregon's offense really kind of failed them in the second, in the fourth quarter specifically, they, they came out of the half okay. I, I think that that was really where the difference in the game was. I, I think that their inability to have the counterpunch after their their number one offensive stuff wasn't working is is where they lose this game. And it, you can get into all the other decisions and like there was a lot that had to happen. <laughs> the, yeah, the fumbled uh, punt snap, the way that just the the kickoff where the ball checked up at the one and and gave Oregon just horrible field position. Obviously, some of the fourth down decisions to go instead of either kicking a field goal or punting. You can get into all of that, but I just I think that the fact that they weren't able to run their offense is what hurts them here. Yeah. Oregon, la- uh, Oregon, Reed, last thoughts on Oregon before we start gushing over Oregon State here. Yeah, the offense clearly doesn't have a gear, the gear that it had earlier in the season. Uh, I like what Matt said, you know, whether you, whatever percentage you want to put on Bo Nix, there are certain aspects like his ability to run that's at like 10% right now, you know? Yeah. That's not at, that, that's emergency situation. <laughs> right. <only>. Exactly. <laughs> so that aspect is completely gone from the offense. Uh, and then some just uncharacteristic misses on passes. He had a, the one right before the muffed punt, uh, that went, you know, that Oregon state gets it at the two, he has a wide open tight end that he just can't doesn't put quite enough on a linebacker tips the ball. It would have been like an 87 yard touchdown probably. Um, and games, games over probably if you get that. Um, so yeah, I, it sucks because I think there's a version of this Oregon team that might've been the best in the conference, but it's falling apart. Uh, but on the other side, I have to say though, like previewing this game, the magic number I thought was 30. If Oregon gets to 30, they should mm. be good. Uh, and, you know, even though the offense, yeah, if they had their full gear, they could have gotten it done at the end. They did enough, I felt like. They put themselves in a position to win this game. The defense had to be able to take it home. And coming out of the Utah game, a kind of under-the-radar plot for Oregon fans was, has this defense turned a corner? Did maybe play calling responsibilities move away from Tosh and we're going to see a drastic improvement going forward? Uh, it looked like that through three quarters, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oregon had held Oregon State to 10 points and then it was just a brutal collapse to close the game. Yeah, that was a tough uh a tough stretch because you, you that point about the getting to 30 points like it felt true right they got to 31 10 and i i don't i've never seen twitter collectively say this is over uh and then mm-hmm. for that to be not true so because it would have been yeah 
It, it would have yeah. been because Jonathan Smith has never shown the willingness to do what we've been telling him for four goddamn yeah. years. Like, well, and comebacks, <laughs> comebacks are almost impossible when you're not passing the ball. Like we talked about this in the live react Twitter space after the game. Like we, whenever we talk about teams overcoming big upsets, I mean, like big differentials in the scoring. Like they need to throw the ball. They do not have enough time to run the ball. Like you got to make these big plays. And so whenever we talk about Oregon State and we talk about how bad their quarterback situation is, we always say, well, they need to stay in the game. They need to control the clock. They can't let the other team get away from them because they're not going to be able to catch up. And we were fucking wrong. (laughs) I have never been so shocked in my life. Like obviously they had a whole quarter to come back, but scoring 24 points in the course of a quarter and a half when you're only running the ball is still very, very impressive. Obviously they had the special team mishaps by Oregon, but like nonetheless, I I'm shocked. Yeah. Let's, let's make that pivot to Oregon state here uh, because we're talking about, or, you know, the first part is this two star stories to every game, right? Like an Oregon fan's going to watch this and be like, Oregon blew it. And Oregon state fans going to watch this and be like, we fucking won that game. Uh, so let's let's talk about Oregon State. I want to say first off, post game win expectancy, Oregon State eighty three percent, which means they they won this game. This wasn't a game where analytically it's like, oh wow, Oregon really should have won this game. Oregon State flat out won it, uh, and I think they won it on the strength again, uh, like you all have said, of the run game, right? Like how many times do we even look at like Avery was alluding to when we look at stats and we say, oh wow, they threw a lot. Well, it was because they were down and they had to catch up. <laughs> It's like reversed for Oregon State. It's completely fucking reversed for Oregon State where it was like, oh, they ran more because they were down and because they could not trust their quarterback. Uh, Wildly impressive stuff. The first time I think we've seen Jonathan Smith ever, I don't know, just acknowledge what his team and what he is good at, which is like run the ball like you can get. or For two years now, it feels like Jonathan Smith has designed an offense and his offensive line coach, Jim Halchick, have designed an offense and, an, and a blocking scheme that gets Oregon State six, seven, eight yards every single carry against mediocre defenses, um, e- even like oh, just okay defenses. He can get six, seven, eight yards per carry, and that's exactly they just completely pivoted towards running the ball, like Avery said, right? Like finally doing the things that he is good at. Uh, he trusted Ben Goldbranson a little bit too much early on in this game, and uh, well, look what happened. Two picks put Oregon in a, Oregon State in a huge hole. But uh, I don't know. Matt, what did you think of Oregon State's performance in this one? Was there anything that stuck out to you in addition to the run game, or do you want to talk more about that? Their run defense. Their, yeah. their run defense in this game was absolutely incredible. Zero explosive plays for Oregon uh, in the run game. Able to really limit the fact and, and force Oregon to rely on Bo Nix and and rely on a hobbled Bo Nix and kind of call that bluff. Um, Obviously still gave up 151 yards, but only 3.6, 3.7 yards per play in the run game. Um, Really did a fantastic job of, of just saying that this is where we think you are. You can actually hurt us. And, and they were able to limit it. And this is a run defense that for Oregon State, we have not been that impressed with all season. Um, I think that we definitely felt good about what their secondary could do against the Oregon offense. But I thought that Oregon was going to come in and run all over them, just like Oregon did against Utah in the first half. Now, maybe a lot of this is the fact that, again, it comes down to Bo Nix and that limitation in the offense and the fact that you can just you can just play it straight up knowing that the quarterback's never pulling that ball. 
Um, but I thought that the run defense was really, really impressive. Reed, I mean, do you agree with that at all? Like, is that is that what you saw out of from them defensively, or do you think it was just all self-inflicted by Oregon? No, I definitely agree with that. I thought that Oregon would have a lot more success running the ball in this game than they did. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't there. I mean, we knew this Oregon State team was good uh, and the defense was good, but I think they proved that they were on another level, especially contrasted with like what we saw from Washington State later in the night. Uh, I think this cemented <laughs> the fact that yeah. Oregon State's the best defense in this league uh, by a pretty wide margin. The other part of this game for me is I just felt like Oregon State's been due for that signature win. And it happened mm-hmm. in a really weird way in this game. Uh, it wasn't the way anyone would have probably scripted it. Uh, you know, there are probably games they should have maybe won against USC or Washington earlier in the year that they didn't get that win in. Uh, but I'm sure Oregon State fans will absolutely take it the way that it happened and especially coming against Oregon, and they deserve it. Uh, even in with all the crazy shit that was baked into this game, like they, like Carlos said, had the postgame win expectancy. It's a huge win that's been coming for a long time, and I'm excited to see what this does for the program overall. What, like you, you, you all mentioned it, right? Like they, they've been in need of this tier one win it felt like they were a tier one-ish team and we were sort of like i don't know you can't really they have they haven't beaten a tier one team yet you know they've got to beat a tier Mm -hmm. one team in order to be put in that conversation they're in that conversation now um they have to be in the in the sort of this upper tier of the pac-12 came three points and maybe one or two fewer chance on interceptions from beating usc the team the pac-12 flag bearer right now they came you know a, a couple of plays short and maybe uh, Jonathan Smith not realizing that he should run the ball more against uh, against mm-hmm. Washington from beating them in Seattle. This team has shed all of its labels around, oh, they can't play on the road. You know, they've got a weak defense. You know, they've got some stuff going on. They're promising. Like, they're straight up flat out good. Not ironically in a cute, adorable way, but like flat out really fucking good. Beta Rank now has them as a top 10 defense nationally. Top 10. Uh, that's by far, far and away, the best defense in the Pac-12. They're number seven in the country in limiting explosive drives. Uh, they are number 10 in rush defense or number 14 in pass defense. Like, And we saw it. Like Oregon, even with Bo Nix not playing particularly well, uh, I still thought that they were getting some... It seemed like they had figured some, some stuff out from the Utah game in terms of their rushing attack. And after about a couple of drives, Oregon State made some really nice adjustments that I think really shut down Oregon's run game. Um, Oregon State has won every single game that they've been favored to win. They were favored going into this Oregon game. Um, They weren't favored to win in Seattle. That was a close game. They weren't favored to beat USC. That was an extremely close game. This is a huge season for them. They should be really proud of what they've accomplished. The AP poll just came out. um, They're ranked 16th, Oregon's 15th. And I know that's because it's like composite rankings Mm -hmm. across a bunch of different voters but if oregon state is not ranked ahead of oregon after the college football poll comes out that is fucking insane yeah that is team that is voters not caring to watch this team so they're going to look at this and say it's a fluke and say bonix was just injured and that's why this happened like oregon state deserves to be ranked up there and it will be a huge shame if they're not. They deserve to be in consideration for a, a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, they they absolutely they're that good. Um, despite again not having a quarterback, like I don't I don't know how much we can stress this that without like a workable player at the most important position in the entire fucking sport, they're nine and three. 
they uh, have an, a, a really good offense. Like, despite not having, like, Ben Branson would not start anywhere except maybe Colorado. I don't uh, think he would even start at Colorado. Colorado has only had less passing yards one time this year, and it was against Air Force when they had 51 yards. Uh, like, I genuinely, I genuinely think JT Shrout would beat out Ben Branson in the quarterback <laughs> competition. That is how bad he is. Like, I don't want to shit on the kid because I'm sure he's a nice guy and he's just there because he has to be. <laughs> and he was not planning on starting this season. Like, Chance Nolan was a clear starter and he got put in a really shitty position, but he has not been good. And I have heard from Oregon State fans saying that they think he's the future of their program. Like, you guys, I know you're Oregon State, but you deserve better. <laughs> Yeah. Please, yeah. please do not think Ben Branson is a good option. He is not a good option. Yeah. If they get even a mid-level quarterback in the Pac-12 next year, I don't know. I'm curious to see what that look like. Uh, obviously, they're going to have some players. I think they could easily get a guy out of the transfer portal that's like completely fine. He doesn't have to be good. Just fine. Tanner McKee. Tanner Tanner McKee's coach just quit. I'm not. I mean, that'd be huge. He's, he's got to be available because there's no way he's getting drafted. Yeah. Like there's just no way he makes it through that process and gets a draftable grade. It's uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, anyway, Oregon state beating Oregon incredible game. Um, I, I have to ask y'all, <laughs> we ask it every week because a, a new classic comes out best pack 12 game of the season. Reed. I mean, I'll ask Reed. That's kind no, of torturous, I'll, I'll, but I'm going to, I'll ask you anyway. <laughs> A fir- firm no on that one. <laughs> this is, in my opinion, the best Pac-12 game all season. The best I one of had, the season, okay. The game of the year. I had so much fun watching this game. Game of the year, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Hard yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think just the the thing that sets it apart for me is the comeback. Like, down 31 to 10 and the way that they came back. Uh, you know, I know Greg and Matt, you both like the fact, like the, the idea of like a home team winning it. They were the home team. Like improbable comeback, incredible performance, jaw dropping decisions in terms of like running the ball nineteen times. Like that's gonna go down in Oregon State lore. Like they they're gonna talk about that game, I think, for a very long time. So I thought that the Stanford game would be the craziest ending in an Oregon State game all year, and I can't <laughs> believe I was wrong. That's insane. Yeah, and the stakes, right? Yes. Like we knew the stakes in this game versus what we knew in Utah USC or or in UCLA USC. So yeah absolutely cool stuff. so good so really really cool i'm sorry reed <laughs> it's just an incredible game <laughs> as, as usual. uh all right well let's move on to talk about other... I, wait one Go more ahead. thing because like we we obviously got called out a lot when oregon was up 31 to 10 about how we like to speak about oregon football like healthy this is the best team in the pac-12 like with yeah. a healthy bo nicks and a healthy offensive line i don't think there's any question that this is the best team in the pac-12 and i would definitely pick them against us yes Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, so but, sad. But uh, and and I think we'll get to this a little bit later. But I I I think that USC's getting getting a bit of a they're getting a bit of a gift not having to play a healthy Oregon or not having to play UW. Frankly, um, mm-hmm. so we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's talk about USC though. USC they played number fifteen Notre Dame, beat them down thirty eight to twenty seven. I don't think the score really portrays just how convincing of a win this was for the Trojans. They went up twenty four to seven in the second half, and it frankly never felt like. Notre Dame seriously threatened Caleb Williams, I think had what felt like a Heisman ceiling game, especially because I guess CJ Stroud had a terrible game. I don't know. I didn't really watch or I didn't watch a snap of that game. Uh, Caleb Williams had 232 yards passing and a passing touchdown, but he also had three rushing touchdowns and several Heisman poses, incredible scrambles, just like 
highlight play after highlight play against Notre Dame, what's supposed to be a really good Notre Dame defense. Uh, number six, USC finishes a regular season 11 and one and is now almost certainly in position to take a playoff spot heading into the conference title game with number five LSU falling to Texas A&M. I guess, uh, guess we'll find out where they fall on Tuesday night. Grapes, where does uh, USC rank in the AP poll? Do you know? I think they're number five. Four. 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 Mm. Yeah. There you go. Number four. Uh, anyway, back to this game. We've all had our quips with USC this year. I think we all think they're a flawed team, but uh, after year one of Lincoln Riley, they're 11 and one. So did this game convince you that USC is a legitimately good team or are you still somewhat unconvinced? Avery, how about you start us off? I'll tell you what I think. I think that Kayla Williams is an incredible quarterback. I think he is by far uh, the best quarterback in the conference. Not even a question about it. One of the best in the country. I, I can't even believe there was conversations that there might be a better quarterback in this conference. And I feel like a dummy for engaging in those. <laughs> he was absolutely incredible in this game. And it was really fun to watch him play. Their defense, I still have a lot of questions about. And their run game too. But he's so good that I don't think it will matter. My only concern, and I know like we'll get to the preview of it later, is I don't think the Pac-12 is capable of putting a playoff, a team in the playoff. Because uh, I think the gods of Pac-12 football hate us. So <laughs> I don't think it matters how good they are personally. But yeah, I... I don't think they're an invaluable team. I if they make it to the playoff, I do expect them to get like absolutely fucking destroyed because their defense is so bad. Um, but wow, Caleb Williams runs an incredible offense, and it's been very fun to watch him this season. Yeah, I had the exact same takeaways. Like honestly, this just felt like a game where I think finally the preponderance of the evidence points towards USC being pretty legit. Maybe not like a full-on playoff team. I don't think that they're going to beat Georgia, but there have been so many games this year where I've gone in and said, oh, this is the one where USC trips up, and they just haven't outside of that Utah game, uh, which I thought was a really good performance from Utah. Like I don't discredit them that much for losing that game by one point. Um, But handling UCLA, handling Notre Dame, and the offense not facing that much resistance against probably the first or one of the first really good defenses they've played, having kind of failed that test offensively against Oregon State. I think this team's really good. I think Caleb Williams, I feel the same way. I feel like an idiot uh, for engaging in those best quarterback <laughs> discussions. I think I think we definitely overthought the room there a bit. Um, yeah, Caleb Williams deserves the Heisman. USC right now I think is the best team in the conference. Uh, I we'll get into the conference title preview. Uh, it's crazy to say, but yeah, I'm I'm finally sold on this USC team. <laughs> I personally refuse to give USC credit for um beating Notre Dame because I I watched this Notre Dame team lose to Stanford. <laughs> I know that I know that the college football voters and what the media people they're like, "Oh, Notre Dame number 15, huge win." They have the brand USC. This is a Heisman moment. And like, that's great. I'm glad they have that brand win. But like, I don't think this Notre Dame team is good because again, any team that loses to the Stanford team that I've watched all year long, well, I didn't really watch them, but like I've seen (laughs) this year, like I do not respect, but like if the national pundits want to give USC props for this one, like, I guess I won't argue. Matthew Hubertson, you're, you're emphatically agreeing. Notre Dame was crap. 
y'all like this game should not be changing your opinion of USC. Now, with that being said, my concerns about USC were that the defense were going to be bad. Guess what it is. And the offensive line was going to be bad. Guess what it is. What I did not account for is the fact that apparently Caleb Williams is a wizard (laughs) and is absolutely impossible to tackle in the backfield. It is insane. This dude is under the most pressure that I've ever seen a quarterback under, and he's not throwing interceptions out of it. Like, screw completion percentage, all that crap. Like, the fact that he is not turning the ball over at all is absolutely absurd. Um, The way that they have to play offensively because of what this offensive line does and the way that they protect, like, in the Pac-12, USC played three better defenses per SP plus than Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame is fine defensively, but like I think we're seeing what they did against Ohio State wasn't actually all that impressive. And and so I think that the way that that USC was just able to control the game was not all that surprising. It, I I just continue to be amazed with how much uh, Caleb Williams is covering up. Any other quarterback, including uh, T, uh, CJ Stroud at, at Ohio State. This is a nine and three team. Yeah. yeah. Any other quarterback. And this is a nine and three team mm. easy. And this motherfucker's coming back. <laughs> Multiple times <laughs> this season, I have said something along the lines of, well, we can't really know how good this quarterback is because his offensive line is so bad. I will never say that again. I will never say that again <laughs> about a quarterback. I don't care how fucking bad your offensive line is. There is no excuse. <laughs> Look really at Caleb Williams. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> yeah, and we 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 talk about Caleb Williams like, oh yeah, he's not like a huge running threat. Like he's more of just like a really good passer with a good pocket present. But like this goes beyond a good pocket presence. This is like his, his survival. <laughs> tactics like yeah, i don't even yeah. fucking know it's incredible yeah i i think that i uh, first of all i just want to say that like it's probably unfair to expect everyone to perform the way that caleb williams is with no offensive line like that's probably a deeply unfair benchmark because i think caleb williams just might be a really unfair player yeah um, i'm just gonna stop giving them credit because like i've been giving <laughs> cam ward credit for like sure. not being dead and yeah. I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't know. Like, I feel like any other quarterback in, the Cal- in Caleb Williams situation would be dead. Uh, it almost feels <laughs> like Cam Ward would probably have gotten injured behind this offensive line. And he's playing behind Washington State's offensive line. Uh, no, I, incre- Like, he by himself makes USC uh, a playoff contender. Obviously, I don't think they're a national title contender. I agree with Reed. But, like, by himself, Caleb Williams is is pulling USC's offense just, like, from a top, they'd probably be a top 35 offense uh, nationally, which is pretty good, but they are a top five na- uh, uh, offense nationally because of Caleb Williams. I, uh, It's it's incredible what he's been doing. Uh, you know, I think he's also, his presence is also opening things up for the run game. Uh, he's utilizing all those receivers just because like he's staying alive in the pocket for 15 seconds and no defensive back can be expected to like cover Jordan Addison and Mario Williams and fucking Terrell Bynum and all those guys. Like you can't expect them to cover those guys that long. He's, uh, he won the Heisman. It's pretty cool to see a Heisman. And, and to Matt's point, he's coming back next year. Absolutely insane. Like bonkers that he is going to get another year of, you know, in this offense at USC. What a great way. What a great way to finish USC's tenure in the conference than to just, (laughs) fucking destroy everything on their way Just out flip a switch <laughs> uh unbelievable I, I gotta add, like he's gonna 
He's going to go down. This is this season already is one of the best seasons in Pac-12 history for a quarterback. He's going to go down, I think, as the best quarterback in Pac-12 history. Uh, like, just these two years are going to... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Reed. Maybe you can disagree. I'll let you disagree, Reed. He's going to eclipse Marcus Mariota. I, I think he should. This season has already been close to Marcus Mariota level, and he's a sophomore, and he's got another year of eligibility. Ooh, Mariota didn't have Jordan Addison and uh, Mario... Or, yeah, Mario Williams. Jordan Jordan Addison was like injured for like a quarter of the season. Yeah. And Mariota had like a decent offensive line, a good defense. Like, I, I don't know. Well, Reed, weigh in on this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to give up the title for Mariota. There's okay. just no way I can do it. Um, but that, you know, you could be Jesus out there and I'm probably still going I with Mariota. I am not convinced so. he isn't Jesus. I, <laughs> like, where's your proof? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen them in the same room together. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on. Yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, anyway, incredible stuff from USC. They are, they're 11 and one. They exceeded, I think any of our expectations. People, I think had mm. them as a nine and three team and people thought nine and three was like a pretty good building year. USC fans had really inflated expectations. I thought about what USC was going to be capable of. The fact that they went 11 and one and frankly, like a pretty decent pack 12. Like I don't think they get, did get lucky and they didn't have to play UW or Oregon. But, like, they had to play Oregon State. They had to play Washington State. Those are decent. I mean, Oregon State's a Tier 1 team now. Washington State's a pretty competent team. Like, they had to get through some pretty decent teams to get here and be 11-1. and one. So, um, crazy stuff to see them go from 4-8 and eight to 11-1. To and one. and Caleb Williams, I think, is the is the major headline out of that. If, if they win this game in the conference title, then USC fans, you can talk your shit as much as you want. Now is the time. You've proven something. Now you get to do it. Preseason, I wasn't going to hear it, but now I'll give it to them. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think they should be talking shit if before they play Utah again. Yeah. Because like, this is scary, scary yeah. hours. I don't think you should get to talk ever. This is the expectation. You're USC. Fair. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> Uh, I would be talking. If I was a USC, if I was, U- if I was a USC, I'd be talking all kinds of shit. I'd be like, "Hey, my, hey, what happens? You had all your fun. Yeah, you're you enjoyed, unhinged. You enjoyed your little. You enjoyed your little party. I am this close <laughs> to just becoming a USC fan, <laughs> just so I can feel joy again. <laughs> Crazy shit. All right, uh, my fallback as an Ohio State fan is not working out. Well. Oops. <laughs> Oops. All right, let's move on to the next game: Washington, Washington State in the Apple Cup. Reed, how about you? Uh, how about you recap this one? This is truly some cruel form of torture making me recap this game. <laughs> uh, after enduring the terrible collapse from Oregon, I had to stay up late and pray for a Washington loss for the Ducks to make it to the Pac-12 title game. That didn't happen, and I hated nearly every second of this game. Uh, Wazoo's offense kept pace in a high-scoring first half thanks to four fourth-down conversions, including a fake punt uh, and some clutch plays from Cam Ward. But the Cougs failed to seize control after two key UW turnovers in the third, and the Huskies' offense pulled away in the fourth to win 51-33. Ultimately, I felt the gap between these two offenses just never gave me much hope for an upset. Uh, And now Washington, gross, is in line (laughs) to likely get the conference Rose Bowl bid if USC makes the playoff, maybe even worse. Um, Yeah, so unfortunately, my take after this game is Washington is playing like the second best team in the conference right now. Do you agree, Carlos? 
Yeah, I think definitively. And I think there's an argument that they are playing like maybe the best team in the Pac-12. Oh, shut up. Shut the I, fuck up. God, okay. So here's the, here's the thing. Um, I think... Uh, We'll talk a little bit about this, I think, in the Pac-12 title game. Your need to start game. fights is really becoming concerning at this point. Here's the thing. Like, are you a, have you been checked out for that? There is one team <laughs> There is one team in the Pac-12 that I like really, really wanted to see get into the Pac-12 title game because I thought they could challenge USC, and I think it's UW right now. Like I, I Oregon, with Bo Nix being hurt, I think would not challenge uh, USC. Maybe Oregon I, State. Maybe Oregon State right now, but they don't have a quarterback. Can you really rely? Maybe, they, I mean, look, maybe they don't need one. But UW feels like uh, UW. We just talked about it. They definitely don't need one. <laughs> Stand by a take. <laughs> UW, I think, uh, looks like they're hitting a different gear. It looks like they found something somewhere in that Oregon game where it's like they've just completely hit a different gear where they're playing well. Um, their offense is unstoppable right now. Washington State's defense. Maybe a little bit fraudulent. Maybe we've inflated them a little bit, but like they're still probably pretty decent. Uh, and UW just shredded them for fifty-one points. Uh, defensively, I think UW was pretty weak. They gave up thirty-three to Washington State, but they did put Washington State in some tough situations. Did force a couple of big stops to pull away. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I'm not saying that Washington is the best team in the Pac-12, but I think I, I don't. I, I'm not entirely sure that USC would definitively beat. UW. Um, I think UW's offense is the only offense in the Pac-12 right now that can keep up blow for blow with USC. And I'm sad that we don't get to see a UW-USC game. I think like of all the possible matchups, that's the number one matchup that I'd like to see in the Pac-12 title game. Didn't happen. If Cal had beaten UCLA and they were very, very close, we would have been we would have been in line for the UW USC game and that would have been electric. I think it would have been fun and I think UW might have had a good shot at pulling it off. Here's the thing. I I agree. I think that UW's offense could go blow for blow with USC, but I don't care because they lost to Arizona State and they don't fucking deserve it. <laughs> Any team in my in my mind that loses to Arizona State, this Arizona State team who it they're shitty. They're bad. Their coach got fired. Like I I cannot put it lightly. He, they got torn to shreds by a guy named Tanner Bourget. Gay, whatever the fuck his name is Trenton. i don't Trenton. know um, <laughs> i truly don't know apparently uh, Air- washington doesn't deserve to be there i'm like one of those people that really strongly feels like i don't want to see a team in competition for something they don't deserve to be in competition for and it makes me even angrier that it's looking like they're gonna get a rose bowl berth because what they're gonna do in the rose bowl is just completely humiliate the conference because their defense is so fucking bad like i genuinely think that oregon state would make the conference look better in a rose bowl than washington would because at least their defense can get stops both rose bowl teams this year will be teams that did not play in their conference championship game makes me sick unless it's oregon state then it won't make me sick that's what i want unless unless there's a unless there's an upset right like obviously utah could win but like if we get washington ohio state it'll be a great game neither team will have played in their net in their conference championship game the granddaddy of them all yeah it feels incorrect yeah it kind of sucks and this is why the playoff i think generally sucks is we're getting robbed of some really great matchups like usc this usc this michigan in the rose bowl would have been really fun um you know ohio state though would be a blast i would really enjoy UW ohio state i think i haven't seen much of ohio state but from what i hear i haven't seen much i haven't seen any not one snap of ohio state um and from what i from what i hear Same. uh you know it feels like UW could get them for sure so 
I don't know. Reed, what do you think? Oregon you, State would kick their ass. Reed, you asked this question that is UW. You said UW is playing like the second best team in the conference. You think you think they'd have a shot at beating USC? Yeah, absolutely. I think it would just be a track meet, right? I don't know who would win, but I think it would be similar to like what we saw in Utah USC, what we saw in USC UCLA. Like it's probably a game played in the forties, and whoever doesn't turn the ball over is going to win. Um, for this season you know, generally for Washington, I feel like it speaks most to the importance of just surviving ugly games. Like they played some pretty ugly games against Arizona and Cal. If they drop either of those, they're not going to the Rose Bowl, you know, if, and then they played games that they quote unquote, shouldn't have won per post game win expectancy versus Oregon and Oregon state, but they did. And I'm, that's really not a criticism. Like that is what matters if you're trying to build a program win some ugly games win some games maybe you shouldn't and all of a sudden you know you get to 10 and 2 you avoid utah and usc also a very important a piece of that formula um but hey you know like you get to 10 and 2 if you go to a rose bowl if you play an ohio state team with a bunch of players sitting out potentially that would be i mean washington's first rose bowl in what 25 years that they would win uh obviously you know this is a few steps forward but like that could build the program so much and it comes down to these little things of like surviving games that were ugly even though they didn't look like a top two team for large stretches of the season they've just survived and risen to the top by the end of it they lost to arizona state no okay so i I think we can (laughs) i'm ready to say that that was a fluke i'm ready to say i don't fucking care like they have to play in tempe uh, a place that UW historically does not win at. In fact, you know what, who the- hasn't had any flukes this season? Oregon State. Oregon State <laughs> zero flukes. They almost lost if to you're Stanford. Good, what good are teams you talking don't about? Fluke. Th- yeah. That that entire win against Stanford was the biggest fluke win I've ever seen. They don't Just ask win. how. They ask how many. <laughs> Just win, baby. Reed, what were you gonna say? Well, Oregon, I mean, the reality is that Oregon State-Washington game that was in crazy conditions, probably, maybe at the end of all this, was for a bid to the Rose Bowl. I'm sure that yeah. hurts to heal if you're a Beaver fan. That makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, that's a great Washington point. Washington got it done. Yeah. yeah. And, and and really, I mean, uh, Michael Oregon State. Mothershed got it done. <laughs> 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 yeah, some crazy stuff in that one. Uh, crazy, crazy stuff. We had some Oregon State UW. I, I know we don't really, we haven't really talked about that as like a game of the year. It kind of was in some way. I know it was ugly and it was like painful, yeah. but like that was like an incredible game also. So, all right, UW probably going to the Rose Bowl as as long as USC wins. I Washington fans will probably never have rooted for USC harder in their life. Um, but it's. That's what's going to happen. I feel like the entire conference should be rooting for USC just so the Pac-12 gets a playoff bid. I I know Utah won't, but like that's such a big deal to the conference. I don't care if you hate USC with your whole entire little heart, but getting a team in the playoff <laughs> would be such a big break for this conference. Like everybody should want that. Even well, Utah fans, grow up. I mean, Take one for the team. Especially if they lost to Georgia or, you know, got yes. to play Georgia yes. and probably lost. Yeah. Like, ultimately, I'd rather have that happen than them go to a Rose Bowl and actually win it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like if you're if you're like a USC hater, you do want them to go to the playoff. You want to be like, well, yeah. you've, been ta- you've been talking all this shit. OK, yeah. go deal with Georgia then. See what happens. Like you even They'll if you like score more than three points against Georgia. So, <laughs> yeah. Take me while I'm down. If, yeah. If, if you're a USC hater. If you like are like just like fuck USC to your core, 
you better hope they beat Utah. Like you want them to beat Utah, <laughs> um, which is kind of crazy to say. But anyway, uh, let's let's move on. I disagree. <laughs> oh, okay, go ahead. I disagree. I think it's actually better for the conference if like Utah beats USC and you just get the entire conference, especially because like the top six in the conference are really fucking good teams. They're really good. Like they are genuinely all top twenty, all top fifteen teams in the country. None of them are top five. And I think that if you see USC make the playoff, I think that they're going to get drubbed. And I think that like doing the whole like go deal with Georgia, I think that that's actually just going to make the Pac-12 look further away than if Utah wins, Utah goes to the Rose Bowl and you get everybody else beating the hell out of inferior competition in their bowls. That's fair. I I think that there's an idea of the Pac-12 that is probably slightly inflated over what the reality is. And I think getting some like actual metrics to help with that would be nice. One last point here is that there is a scenario where USC gets the three seed. If TCU drops a mm. semi coin flip game to Kansas State, USC is in line for a three seed and they have a chance against Michigan. Oh, buddy, unless TCU, unless TCU beats the hell out of uh, Kansas State, I think mean, USC is getting the three seed because this is a revenge game. And Maybe. we know how the committee has yeah. treated revenge games. Arizona, Oregon, 2014. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's a good point. I think USC is getting the three seed. Yeah. Unless TCU beats the hell out of them. In some ways, I actually think maybe you're right, Matt, in that Utah does win. They go to the Rose Bowl. USC is getting a New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl. Does UW yeah. get a third New Year's Six Bowl? Like, no. Probably. Yeah, probably. I think they, they do. probably I end mean, up in the Cotton gonna Bowl. They're going to be top 10. That's They'll crazy. probably be top 10. They end up in the Cotton Bowl and get to beat the hell out of a G5 team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, so Tulane wins. Tulane rolls in that one. <laughs> uh, Tulane UW. Damn, Reed, you're going to get a second rivalry game. Amazing. Get a chance to to uh, to revenge, get, get vengeance for that UW-Oregon game. All right, let's move on to talk about the other rivalry games. Uh, Friday on Friday afternoon. To? Yeah, we'll, we'll be really quick. Uh, okay. <laughs> I know you probably haven't had breakfast. We'll get you some food soon. Uh, Arizona breaks a five-game losing streak to ASU, beating the Sun Devils in Tucson, thirty-eight to thirty-five. Drug of choice. Uh, this game was chaotic as all fuck. It featured six turnovers, over a thousand yards of combined offense, a stolen mouth guard, a mascot fight, and then an actual fight that ended with five players being kicked out of the stadium. Yeah, that was insane. <laughs> With like 30 seconds left. It's it was the dumbest. <laughs> Wild. Anyway, uh, Arizona, this, this rivalry is insane. Arizona pulls it out uh, to finish five and seven while ASU finishes three and nine. It's worst season record-wise since 1942. Meanwhile, <laughs> in Northern California, UCLA eked out a win against Cal 35 to 28. UCLA outgained Cal 541 yards to 261, but Jack Plummer kept Cal in it for a good long while with four passing touchdowns, even giving Cal a two-scored lead midway through the third quarter. In the end, though, UCLA emerged victorious. So just a quick bit about this. Where do you want to go here with these two rivalry games between UCLA and Cal, Arizona, ASU? Reed? Any big takeaways from either of these? I'm happy for Arizona. That's my biggest takeaway for sure. Uh, That was a fun game. Good for them. They seem like the only team in this group of games that really wanted to be there even. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, good for Arizona. That's kind of all I have to say. Like, UCLA was ugly. I was rooting for them to eliminate UW, and they did it, but it was ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Avery, what about you? Yeah, I'm really happy for Arizona. This was their Super Bowl. They did it. I am always happy when Arizona State loses. I like hate them for absolutely no reason, but it's fun. 
Um, next year, we're going to see a bulgeable Arizona, and I am so excited. I don't know. I don't know that we see that. I ugh. Stop Stop I, it. Okay. <laughs> Stay true. You know what, though? Hell yeah, it was our Super Bowl. Bear down. Go Wildcats. Uh, my drug of choice. This was incredible uh, throughout. Just a wonderful microcosm of what the entire season was for Arizona. Um, UCLA, I've never seen a team like want to be there less mm. And I watched Alabama play Utah in 2008. So like, <laughs> I th- this was that was a brutal game to watch. Um, that just I, I still don't even know how UCLA won. To be quite honest with you. So, um, but yeah, Territorial Cup was awesome. Did we, Carlos? Did you end up actually being able to get rid of those tickets? Like, did no, anybody ever no one, take no those? No one took them. Yeah. How much did you t- pay for them? That wasn't that much. I got it like back in, I don't know, August or something. Like it was preseason, so maybe it was a little bit more expensive. I saw them going on StubHub for like 25 bucks. I guess I could have tried to sell them, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I tried. Yeah, we posted on our Twitter like someone's got to take these and no one, not one single bite, um, which is, which is kind of crazy. Uh, yeah. Sad. I, yeah. These are, uh, these were, uh, just, I mean, they were fun games. Uh, Arizona, Arizona State was fun. UCLA Cal, much less fun, but still pretty fun. Um, I'll just say about UCLA, they finished nine and three, pretty weak nine and three. If you ask me, a pretty sad way to go nine and three. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say it's like the worst nine and three that I've seen in a while, but it was not uh, not particularly satisfying. It's close, not satisfying at all. But they'll finish ranked in the top twenty five. You know, you can't. I guess you can't be too mad about a nine and three season, especially if you're UCLA. You got wins over Utah. You got wins over UW. Those matter. Um, so I, I, I guess I don't know. I don't really. UCLA hasn't looked good in three weeks, and, it, and that kind of sucks. So the two teams that I'm most excited to do like postseason wrap up, deep dive on their season is UCLA and Oregon State. Yeah, like I'm I'm very excited to like figure out what the hell happened this season with those two. Yeah, we're gonna have to see. I almost wish like uh, UCLA kind of UCLA and and talking about UW and USC and Oregon and USC. Like I kind of wish like we had a like a Pac-12 exclusive bowl game. Like, I really want to see UCLA play Washington State. Like, I really want to see if UCLA can can handle that. I really want to see, want, want to see UW play USC uh, or Oregon play USC. Uh, I really would like to see UW play Utah. Uh, I'd love to see Oregon State play UCLA. Like, all those games where they didn't get to play each other, especially among the top six, I I'd, I just feel like I still have questions about UCLA. I'm not going to get them answered. I have questions about UW. I'm not going to get those answered. I have questions about USC. I'm not going to get those answered. So um, that's this is kind of in some ways it's good, right? Because it means the Pac-12 was pretty good last year. We weren't talking about that. We didn't give a shit last year. Um, this year <laughs> there are six really really good teams. So all right, well those are the two games. We don't want to talk about them too much because you know <laughs> whatever. Uh, good for Arizona. A fine for UCLA. Cal sucks. They're four and eight now. We'd forgot about that. We'll talk about Justin Wilcox, I'm sure, at some point in the bowl season. All right, two more games here. Let's discuss these super briefly. Utah absolutely fucking throttled Colorado, sixty-three to twenty-one. Colorado ended with hundred and eighty-five yards of offense, but I promise you that like one hundred and seventy of those were in garbage time. Uh, this was Colorado's worst performance all year, uh, which is crazy to say. Meanwhile. Utah clinches a spot in the Pac-12 title game. They finished their season 9-3. and three. 
And then BYU uh, beat Stanford, I don't know, was this 36 25, something like that. I had, did not watch this game. So, like, frankly, I have, doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. I have no clue how All it went. I know about this game, all I know about this game is that BYU fans are in uproar because the Stanford band had a bit where they're married to women at halftime, which I think is really fucking hilarious. But <laughs> no, they were not mad at that. Oh, oh, yeah, you didn't see it last magnet. night? They are big men. They were, they were like oh. saying it was religious bigotry. Like they were going <gasps> crazy acting like this is the worst thing that has ever happened, ever. So offensive. Credit to the Stanford band for, they like baited them, basically. They were like, yeah. oh, let's see them get Trolls. mad when two, pe- two women get married. Oh, my God. Wow, mask off for those fuckers. I hate BYU. I think like the issue is is that they use verbiage that Mormons use in their they said wedding time ceremony. And all That's the only but, thing. But like like it comes from the Bible too. Like this isn't new. This isn't unique. Like wow. people are acting like they've trashed some religious ceremony. Like you don't think that LGBTQ plus individuals should exist. You think it's mental illness. Like you don't think they should have rights fuck you you do not get to call this bigotry yeah crazy stuff i like didn't know that i saw it something kind of going around but like i didn't know that it was just like two women getting married and byu fans completely losing their minds um wow way to way to bait way to bait them into that uh we got to get a tweet up on there something (laughs) gotta gotta post that (laughs) you can you can bait more byu fans and then they can we can go back to 3.3 stars because they're gonna you know (laughs) 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 review bomb us (laughs) Uh, okay. Uh, any any thoughts about either of these games? Does anyone have anything to say? No. No. I didn't watch any of them. <laughs> yeah. I watched a little bit of Utah, Colorado. Just Colorado being stupid, but... I forgot Stanford played yesterday. I did, too. Me, too. Until the very end. So did they. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Stanford looked awful. I genuinely thought that, like, Stanford should be able to beat this BYU team, and it was never, never close. So... That that was a pretty listless uh, performance by Stanford. I was pretty disappointed in that. I I don't know how at the end of the season I honestly feel worse about Stanford than I do Colorado. No, really. I I Colorado is big ass, but I don't know that Stanford's that far. Frankly, um, it's crazy stuff. All right. Well, those are our recaps. How about some MVPs, Ray? Let's start with you. I'll go with the obvious one. Caleb Williams put the punctuation on his Heisman. I think I'll go there. Yeah, I'll say Caleb Williams, too. I've got some honorable mentions, but... I don't think anyone else deserves it other than Caleb Williams. Yeah. Y'all are insane. Whoever held the gun to Jonathan Smith's head and <laughs> made him run the damn ball. Yeah. Yeah. The Oregon State Whoever legislature. Whoever you're a in. hero. Please show yourself. We, we, have some, we have a reward for you. I, I do think uh, I was going to also consider Jonathan Smith as a, as a honorable mention for exclusively running the ball in that stretch. Uh, I mean, like uh, Damian Martinez, 6.9 yards per carry. Very nice. Uh, Jam Griffith, Jam Griffin, 9.4 yards per carry off eight attempts. Deshaun Fenwick at 6.6 yards per carry. Like they were getting whatever they wanted. Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, Any other honorable mentions? Uh, Jaquin and Jackson went wild for Utah. Um, Colorado had their fifth string quarterback playing and he had like over 100 yards. (laughs) Yeah, the. The reclamation project that is the Colorado quarterback room. I really appreciate the charity that's being done there. Uh, really letting guys live out their dreams. <laughs> Oregon special teams coordinator, definitely least valuable player. Yeah. I would say. Oh yeah, big, big, big <laughs> out. Be. Um, <laughs> Could that be. Sucks. That sucks. Uh, Michael Wiley for Arizona. He went completely off. Oh yeah, totally Nuclear. off yeah. on Arizona State. Fuck them up. Twelve carries. Okay, twelve carries. Two hundred and fourteen yards. 
three touchdowns. Seems pretty good. <laughs> uh yeah if, if it weren't for caleb williams having like an insane game he'd probably win it uh going away uh michael Penix jr again 25 for 43 throwing 485 yards uh, uh through the air three touchdowns uh and then you know obviously that just circled that trickles down to roma dunze and Jalen mcmillan had fucking ridiculous games against washington state so throw them in there as a uh, honorable mentions all right. Well, those are our MVPs for the week. Let's move on to some questions. We've only got one here from our boy Dennis at Vigo Capathian. He asks, for every team in the Pac-12, select any one player from any other team that turns that team into a Pac-12 title game winner. Probably a little hard to follow. I'll, I'll explain. For some teams, this may not be possible and they need uh, they need not be discussed. Also, the QB position is off limits. I thought this was interesting because we always talk about how Oregon State is a QB away. If they had a good, good cute QB, you put them there, they could, uh, you know, win the Pac-12 fairly easily. So I thought we could dive into it. So Grapes, you start us off. QBs are off limits. What do you think? If you could move one player to make a Pac-12 team into a Pac-12 champ, who would it be and where would you send them? I think that's a rude rule. Because, like, I think I should be able to pick a QB from a bad team and move it to a, a good team. Um, <laughs> okay. Because I personally think that if Jack Plummer was on Oregon State, they would have 11 wins. Uh, so I'm trying to think, like, what position. Okay, I'll do a kicker. Uh, pick whatever kicker. Camden Lewis from Oregon. Move it to Oregon State. Oregon State would have won the UW game because they had two missed field goals in that oh, game. So God. there we Boom. go. That's my answer. That's a good Camden one. Camden Lewis to Oregon State. That's a good one. Reed, what about you? Got an answer for this one? Yeah, my mind goes to either Clark Phillips or Tuli Tui Pelotu to Oregon. I think those would both shore up the defense a bit. Um, it's a good yeah. one. It's a good one. Matt? Um, I'm thinking like a Jordan Addison or a Troy Franklin Franklin to Utah. Oh, um, yeah. really? That's open. a good one. That's good. Like giving them an actual weapon on the outside? Well, the, the issue with that is they're, neither of them are white. <laughs> yeah they never get used like I, I think they're good blockers though that's that's what i'm saying they're, they're really good and effective blockers and i think it would really open up utah's run game maybe chase coda <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Chase yeah. Best, best blocking receiver um, <laughs> no i really i really think a weapon like that like at utah would have made a big difference yeah for this Utah team. Absolutely. That's a great call. I don't, did you think I was going to like put somebody like that or like Roma Dunes? Just yeah. pick a, pick one of the 18 amazing wide receivers in this conference. Put put them into a little hat, pull a name out. <laughs> yeah. Any one of them. Yeah. Any of them would have greatly improved Utah. Um, did you think I was going to like put that at, at Oregon State or something? So or that's like? my that's my response to this question. Is like either J- specifically either Jalen McMillan for UW or... Um, Roma Dunze is better than Jalen McMillan. Okay, so let me explain. First of all, I don't think so. But first, let me explain why it was Jalen McMillan and also Jacob Cowing to Oregon State. And here's why. Because if they just had one like receiver who was really good in space that they just threw like four or five yard passes to and he could create 10, 15 yards, that, that by itself might dramatically improve Oregon State's offense because you're not asking Ben Goldbranson to do anything except throw a short one over the middle or throw a screen and let Jalen McMillan or let Jacob Cowing work. Um, like bold just, of you to assume he can throw a five yard pass. Successfully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I believe it when State, I see it. Oregon State did do not have any acrobatic receivers. shit to catch that and then run after the catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surely yeah. this is reasonable. They could do that too, <laughs> Jacob Cowing and uh, and yeah, uh, they probably Jaylen could. McMillan. So, like Ted McMillan would not work at Oregon State. Ted McMillan would. He's like a downfield threat. 
big guy yeah. like that would not work at Oregon State. But like a guy who's going to get a ton of yards after the catch that you could just like throw three, four yards and he's going to make like 10, 15 yard plays out of it totally would work at Oregon State. So that is my that is my pick. Any others that you thought of? I'll throw in like, I don't know, who really needs a pat? Like if Tuli Tuli Pelotu went to Washington, right? Like that, like a, an elite like pass rush that would have greatly improved UW's. I mean, UW already has like a pretty That's decent pass rush, but like it would it would elevate it. Like just just the one guy who's able to wreak some havoc, wreak some havoc. Yeah, I just I just don't know that Tuli's actually a game wrecker. You know, like I what are you talking I about? I don't know that we have that in the conference this year. I he, he's good. Like okay. he is good. Okay. I don't know that he's actually taken over games in in that sense. Yeah. And not cave on Thibodeau in level. a scheme where all they're doing is playing against the pass. Like it's not like. I don't know. So I, I, I do. I think that the Clark Phillips to Oregon is interesting. Uh, that past defense has been a problem. I, I don't know how good that front seven has actually been at, at controlling the run though. So I don't know that that would have made that big of a difference at Oregon. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's really hard when you take off quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> yeah, just say really Caleb is. Williams everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Caleb Williams. Uh, just throw him, throw him literally anywhere. Um, but, but I mean, even that thing though, like Caleb Williams is definitely that good. Yeah, but yeah. anywhere from like the second to the eighth quarterback in those top four teams, like switch, like yeah, Bonex on Utah doesn't make Utah that much better. DTR on mm-hmm. like UW. Well, oh, P- Penix might be a little bit of an exception. Penix- Penix is good. Yeah, he's he is. He might good. be better than the rest of them. Uh, I don't know. Bo Nix though, like when he's healthy. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, you're probably Depends right. Depends on the offense too. Right. Yeah. I fully believe that you could take like ten of the twelve Pac-12 quarterbacks and put them on Oregon State, and we Oregon State would be in the conference championship yeah. game. Like I yeah. feel strongly about that. I think Dennis. Yeah. I think Dennis knows that that would be the case, and that's why I said no quarterbacks, which I think is kind of an interesting yeah. question. Makes it more interesting. No. Yeah. Uh, one last one, maybe Clark Phillips to uh, Clark Phillips to UCLA probably would have done some stuff like just his talent alone in that secondary might, might have gotten yeah. him an extra win or two. Uh, okay. As we said before, the Pac-12 title game is set. We're running a little long, so we'll just talk about this briefly and talk. Who about cares? It. People love extra content. <laughs> Screw <true>. the haters. <laughs> uh, Reed does have to leave, but that's all right. We'll get him in for this one, and we'll get his uh, final pick before he has to go. Uh, as we said before, Pac-12 title game is set. USC will play Utah in Las Vegas. Utah obviously playing for what will likely be a Rose Bowl matchup uh, with a Rose Bowl rematch with Ohio State. While USC has its sights set on the Pac-12's first college football playoff appearance since 2016, uh, so we're going to this game. By the way, we're uh, everyone but Reed, so I'm ready to hang out with y'all <laughs> in Vegas. Uh, second year in a row that we get to do that. Now, second year in a row we get to watch Utah play in that dumpy. It's not dumpy, but it's kind of stuffy. Stuffy Las Vegas. I hate uh, that Legion stadium, stadium. So yeah, it's, much. It's stuffy. It's weird. I don't love it. Anyway. Uh, these two teams did meet up earlier this season. Utah did beat USC back on October 15th in Salt Lake City in 43-42 to and a thriller, one of the best games of the year. Obviously, some things have changed since then, but Matt, let's start with our, our conversation on this game with you. Do you like Utah's chances to beat USC again? No. Okay. I, I have done a bunch of research on this today. I like I tweeted last night that I was like, I would probably put the line, set the line at like USC minus 13 and a half, like a, like a pretty big line. I I don't see a way that Utah offensively with Cam Rising being hurt like he is, 
with uh, the injuries that they have sustained across the board, Dalton Kincaid is is playing a little bit hurt as well. They are on like their they're literally on their backup quarterback as a starting running back at this point. I don't see how Utah keeps up offensively and is able to score with USC. The defense has definitely improved for Utah. It's not a game. It's it's not a unit that can dictate anything, and I think we'll really be able to limit USC very much. So. Yeah, I don't I, I think that USC is too healthy. I think that they are they are definitely running in a way that is not anything that many defenses in the country can contend with. And so I I don't see a way that Utah wins this game, but every single like Beta Rank has this as a pick'em, SP Plus has this as a pick'em. Every single like metric that I look at has this game as a pick'em and I can't make sense of it. <laughs> Reed, what about you? You like Utah's chances of beating USC? It, it's really strange, this Utah team. I feel good about them against bad teams. They've consistently taken care of those, and I have a feeling maybe that's why they're so high in some of these metrics. Uh, but their performance against the best teams, against Oregon or USC, uh, have been a little more up and down. Obviously, that Florida game, the UCLA game, like that, they've lost those games against better teams except for this USC game. Uh, I mean, the recipe will be a lot of Dalton Kincaid, I have a feeling, if they do pull it off. The line is, I'm seeing a lot of minus twos, minus two and a halfs. He's injured. Is he out? He's not expected. Well, he, I think he'll play, but he's not expected to be 100%. Yeah, he's been injured for a while, right? A couple weeks. Yeah. Well, and well, he, it, from what I hear, it sounded like it was probably a concussion is why he left yikes. the Colorado game. Yikes. So, oh. like, it's not a guarantee that he's going to play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. And without then. him, like I just don't see a path. I just don't see a path for Utah in this one. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't see that because he was productive against Oregon. Obviously. Um, yeah. 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 So well, if Kincaid's out, I, I think you can pretty much close the book on this one. But I don't know. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I. I am. Well, let's go to Avery first. Avery, do you like Utah's chances to beat USC again? No, I don't. Like, I think a big proponent of why they won the original matchup is like that game was at home. Dalton mm-hmm. Kincaid had an unreal game, like unprecedented, like insane. Cam Broke. rising was unbelievable. Cam yeah. rising had an amazing game, but we know when they're not at home, they don't play the same way. Obviously it's a neutral site game. There'll be a lot of Utah fans there and that will have an impact, but it's just not the same. Like there's something in rice cycles that makes Utah play better. It's just how it is. And that game was close that game could have gone either way down to the wire Dalton Kincaid might not be playing like Brant Keithy never came back like this is Cam Rising still injured like there there's no reason Utah should win this game like it would have to be an implosion on USC's end in my opinion but knowing the Pac-12 like being a fan of this conference and watching this conference do stupid shit every single year I I expect it you know yeah, I have no reason to, but I, I, I feel like I expect it to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I think I'm with y'all. I, I think Utah has some serious problems. Cam Rising looks worse than he did when he played against USC. A lot of that, I think, has to do with his own injuries. Dalton Kincaid's not 100%. He wasn't even 100% coming into this game, right? Like he was, he was hurt at some point after the USC game. Uh, Tavion Thomas now has left the team. Uh, he was now his impact has been 
frankly, negligible and maybe one of the contributing factors to how disappointing this Utah season has been, considering all the expectations that they had placed upon them. Uh, And meanwhile, it feels like USC's gotten better offensively. Their defense, eh, whatever. But like Utah's offense, I'm not sure has enough playmakers to do much about it. That Utah-USC game still kind of is like clear in my head and I just can't shake the feeling. And I said this a couple weeks ago and I think y'all are right to like dunk on me for it. But I just can't get the, I can't shake the feeling that the better team lost in that one. Like USC controlled much of that game. Utah did need a, a, a brutal, poorly timed roughing the uh, roughing the passer penalty against Cam Rising. They obviously went for two because I don't know that they trusted their offense to be able to keep up blow for blow with USC in overtime. And I I don't know. I feel really I feel really not good about Utah's chances in this one. Um, I I think it's uh, it's <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I, I when I when I this matchup came out, I was with Matt. I was like, this feels like a 10 point spread for USC. It's pretty low right now. I think to Reed's point, like, I think the reason the analytics have them so far is Utah, not just this year, but really since like 2019 have beaten the shit consistently out of bad teams. And like, that's good. You should do that. And it, and it really does make you look better when you're just throttling the teams that you absolutely should. But I think that's, what's happening here a little bit with Utah is they're, they throttled some really bad teams in these stretches um, you know, in this most recent stretch against Arizona and Colorado and Stanford, like they're just kind of doing what they should do and discarding them. Um, and you know, I, I'm USC on the other hand, like not just this year, but I think historically USC is the kind of team that like they have enough talent where they can kind of turn it on. They can just sleepwalk through a Cal game and it's really hard to get them up to like beat the shit out of a, a really bad team just cause they're so good. But you know, they'll go and they'll like fuck around with Cal and they'll fuck around with Arizona. They'll fuck around with even Colorado for a quarter. Like they're just kind of, kind of do that. I don't know that those things. And, and so it gets reflected in the analytics. I'm not sure I ever hold it against them. Um, you know, just cause that's how USC historically has been. Even when they were like in the Pete Carroll years, like they weren't like regularly beating the shit out of every good team on their schedule. It was like, Oh, they kind of struggled a little bit. They sleep, they slept walk, but they knew they were going to win and they did. And that's sort of a sign of, you know, making sure that the team gets through it. So, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't like Utah's chances at all much in this one, but we'll see. Any other thoughts about this Utah USC game? You excited for this one? No, <laughs> I, I really wish it was another matchup. I, I wanted to see healthy Oregon or UW play USC so badly. I, I wish it was that way more. I think it's way more fun to watch a matchup that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. don't like rematches. And yeah. we were really close to getting UW or Oregon teams that haven't played USC. So I think it's super unfortunate that we didn't get that. Yeah, the way that USC missed the two North teams that I think we really want to see them play like and then to get a pretty beat up Utah team now is is pretty disappointing. Um, this feels very anticlimactic to what was a really really freaking good season. And obviously, like with how great of a day we got yesterday, to finish it off with this championship game feels a little bit um, a little disappointing. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I would have I would have definitely rather have seen Oregon play USC. I think that would have been. Much more interesting, even with an unhealthy Bo Nix. Like, I don't know. Let's let's see how they do with that run game and all this other stuff. But I'd love like a Utah Washington too. Like like yeah. it doesn't have to be USC, it's you know? True. Yeah. It's true. Like I just don't want to see the rematch. <laughs> yeah. Uh especially because Utah hasn't looked I think I would have been more excited for a rematch if like Utah was like, I don't know, like, oh shit, they beat 
USC. Maybe they had one more loss, but they've looked really good otherwise. They just haven't, you know, it's been it's been a uh, it's been a bit bit down for them. This is this is off topic and I should have brought it up earlier, but did you know that the name of the football coach at Stanford is the Bradford M. Freeman Director of Football. That's the title. <laughs> yeah. I think that's no insane. Shit. I think they have uh they have names for is some of these. Is that a thing at every school? I think Why is that a thing? Wait, wait, wait. So that means you know how people like buy a building yeah. and they put their name on the building <laughs> so somebody coach. bought a the title? Person. Yeah. No, somebody bought a person. Yeah. <laughs> this feels problematic. This feels probably not great. Uh, but but this is true, I think, for UCLA and Mick Cronin also. I think Mick Cronin is like the... Uh, I've, I've never heard that before. That's crazy. It's pretty common. It made yeah. me laugh. Yeah, Mick Cronin is the Michael Price family UCLA men's head basketball coach. Uh, okay, and, but he's not the director of basketball. Yeah, I mean, so... Uh, Being our, called the director of football feels so weird. Our, our buddy Tony <laughs> is saying that Stanford has, has that near, for nearly all of their coaches including their offensive coordinator so what this is this i think it is common like you know is that is that it's a way uh, to bring in money academic privilege type shit that i just am not familiar with look if you got enough money you can name whatever the fuck you want frankly um (laughs) uh buddy tony's saying mike bloomgren is stanford's andrew luck's director of offense that's interesting i didn't know andrew luck had bought interesting he's got enough money i guess (laughs) doesn't take that much money (laughs) All right. Uh, anyway, good good pull there. I appreciate you doing that. All right, let's take a uh, truck stop to talk some Pac-12 news. All right, first piece of news here. Pac-12 referee Michael Mothershed has retired. Uh, did not bother to look up his resume or how long he's been there or anything to give him an ob- obituary. Uh, but this man <laughs> holds a special place in our hearts. So... Matt, what parting words would you like to send to Michael Mothershed as he rides off into the sunset? Just thank God for Michael Mothershed. (laughs) I'm terrified to see what's going to happen in this conference as we have messes that can no longer be untangled. Um, We we can no longer uh, uh, have our man really step out there and and control the controllables i, I fear <laughs> i fear things will become uncontrollable we, we truly will be ungovernable moving forward avery parting words for our uh, friend michael weathershed thank you for your service michael everything you've done has been amazing i'm i feel like now i have to learn the names of other refs in the pac-12 to make up for this loss and oh, i think I'm they'll prepared to do that i think they'll make themselves very visible to you <laughs> Uh, did you have to learn Michael Mothershit's name? No, you did not. Uh, yeah, very. Uh, he, he, I will miss him dearly. I know that uh, Pac-12 refs can be insane, but man, did he make every game way more chaotic than it ever had to be. Uh, so good luck to him. In less firm news, but certainly news, Colorado has offered Deion Sanders the position of head coach. We're still waiting on primetime's decision. Uh, Deion is currently the head coach at Jackson State, making headlines for bringing in high-level talent. Matt, you had many thoughts on this potential hire on Twitter. So, what are you thinking? I did, and it's funny because I've kind of like I've kind of tamed them a little bit okay. because I think that I um. Oh, Richard Johnson um, talked about how he was like something to keep an eye on in coaching Twitter. Like if somebody says that something's been offered, that's so easily refutable. Mm. Like don't don't pay that any attention. So I kind of just care a lot less about this story okay. because of that. 
But with that being said, like I just this just makes no sense to me from either party. It makes no sense why Dion would take this job. It's a really, really difficult job, and it is not a job that is like a lifer position for him by any means. Um, I don't think that it's a job that can be turned around in two years, and I don't think he has any interest in being in that type of a position for two years. I think that he would be way better served taking like a, a good G5 job like a Fresno, Boise, Hell, Colorado State, I think, would be a quicker turnaround uh, to success and be able to stepstone up to a higher level job that I think is what he's trying to actually build for himself and trying to do. So it doesn't make sense for me to me from that perspective. And the fact that it doesn't make sense for him is why it doesn't make sense for Colorado to me. Like, yes, it would be a fine hire. It'd be cool. All of that sort of stuff. I don't think it sets them up for success moving forward either. I think I think you're just trying to do some sort of like a some pop where where you're competing for the Pac-12 championship and then you're just reducing yourself right back down to 10 lost seasons. I don't I don't think it makes very much sense versus going for like a Mendenhall or a Herman or something like that. Anyone else have thoughts about Deion Sanders possibly being the coach at Colorado? It would be really cool. But yeah. beyond that, like I don't I agree with everything Matt said. I think it could kickstart a rebuild with some talent infusion, but I don't know. Maybe those players all transfer out if Dion leaves in two years. So <laughs> maybe that's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think it's for Colorado makes all the sense in the world. Why not your moribund program? That's kind of nothing right now. Yeah, get a get a big name, get some talent in there. If he gets enough talent, we saw what Jed Fish did, uh, overhauling the entire roster for Arizona in one off season. So don't see why Deion Sanders couldn't do that with his name. All right. Well, that's it for Pac-12 news. Let's move on to talk about some game picks. Game pick, singular. Uh, all right, Grapes, how about a pick em party update first? Yeah, um, this week we didn't have anyone go undefeated in the picks, but Guac, our buddy Guac, got six out of seven. He had the best record this week. Mm. Um, he picked Notre Dame to cover the spread and that obviously didn't happen so super close there greg got five out of seven and so did chad um for the overall rankings i think this is updated but it looks like kg is taking it away he's at a 66 percentage and i'm right behind him at 64 percent so not bad i think uh and matt's in third place at 63 percent so pretty good i i want to remind everyone again that i do not bet on sports so coming in second is a huge humiliation to everybody You're else a literal witch. and also embarrassing to me because for some reason i'm really good at picking these but i i can't pick the games <laughs> Get no, fucking pick the games it's weird. fine <laughs> different game i guess matthew Brisson, how about a standings update i don't want to Greg is winning by a lot. Yeah, well, that's because I try to be fun and cute when I pick, okay? I'm trying to be exciting. I'm trying to generate conversation. And not even still tied with Carlos for last place. I hate it here. Wait, this I'm in sucks. second place? I'm yeah. not in last. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh, sorry, Reed. Yeah, I forgot about that. Reed probably has the best percentage, right? No, because he didn't get the non-con. Uh, oh. That's a good point. Yeah, it inflated. It really inflated our records there. Uh Okay. Yeah, I don't Greg know. Greg is I don't, 71 and 19. My God. 71 my God. and 19. That's what happens when you That's pick your favorites insane. every single time. Uh, yeah, I don't even know who I picked this week because our fucking graphics person uh, never tweets the never tweets the picks anymore. Okay. <laughs> to be fair, 
It was Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, it's fine. I'm kidding. Uh, all right. That's it. We have one game to pick. We talked about this one somewhat extensively. So let's hear it. Does anyone have a line for this game, by the way? I think it's at um, one. I found a USC minus one. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, USC, Utah traveling to Vegas for the Pac-12 title game on Friday night, Friday, December 2nd. USC apparently is a one-point favorite. Grapes, who wins, who covers? So basically, pick them. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick USC. Yeah. I feel like that's it. I don't know. I'm gonna be disappointed either way. I'm sure. <laughs> Matt. Yeah, sickest game of the week. I, no, uh, this is... <laughs> Wait, really? No. It's the only game. <laughs> the, the Ace, I'm pretty sure the ACC is playing. That, that's the actual <laughs> sickest game. Um, no, I'm also on USC. I. I know all the numbers say that this will be a close game, but I cannot fathom how USC doesn't win this by three scores. Yeah, Reed. I'm right there with you, Matt. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially if Kincaid's out. I just, I don't know if I see it. And with how Cam Rising's been playing, I definitely USC and obviously to cover. Yeah, I think uh, I think I would have taken USC minus nine. Like, I think it might be two scores here. Um, I don't know. I, I hope we get a, a more competitive game, but... <gasps> If USC wins, I will have 69 points in our game. And that means I automatically win. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that's it. We don't have any other games to pick. We'll talk. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about bowl game selections. We'll know the bowl game, bowl game selections, I think, by the time we talk next. Uh, we'll talk about the results of the Pac-12 title. Maybe we'll even get some more coaching news. Maybe we'll see Justin Wilcox. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Anyway, that'll do it for us. This has been one hell of a regular season, one hell of a finale. But do not worry. We'll be back to talk about the Pac-12 title game, our personal awards for the season, all that stuff. We'll do some post-mortem on each of these teams. I think this year we should absolutely talk about, do some deep dives into each of these uh, Pac-12 teams. But for now, it's postseason time. So we'll catch you all on the flip side. That's gra- Graps. That's Graps. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mad. Mad. Fuck. That's Matt. That's Reed. I'm Carlos. I think at least I got my name right. Thank you for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Come hang out with us in Vegas. Hit us up. Hit us up. Rumors still and thick with smoke. So thick it makes you choke. The crowd vibes in. The coffee's kicking in my patience to everything. Said I'm lonelier than a single sax on a quiet city street Things are an old